Good morning. Two Sundays in a row in, uh, here in uh, 2020, our elders got together and we decided um, what would be the best gift to our church, and we decided to be two Blake sermons. So um, you're welcome. So yeah, um, and I know a lot of you thought, Blake, that wasn't you last week. I thought that was Brad Pitt t- teaching. And uh, it wasn't Brad Pitt, it was me. So uh, happens a lot, don't worry about it. Uh, so but that was me preaching, and uh, it was, it's a joy to be back in the pulpit this morning as we continue our uh, study in Genesis. So if you can, go ahead and open up your Bibles into Genesis chapter 6. So last week, we, um, we covered a whole chapter, uh, chapter 5. And uh, I know when, uh, when, when Scott typically preaches, he only preaches a couple verses. I preached a whole chapter. So I'm not saying it's a competition, but you do the math, is all I'm saying. So, okay? So, um, no, I'm just kidding. We're only doing two verses today. Sometimes it'd be like that. So I, I get it. So, okay? So, and actually, believe it or not, this, uh, this week, I was intended to be uh, verses one through eight, but as we've been studying, as we've been praying through it, myself along with the elders, uh, we decided we need to take more, more of a hyper focus just on the beginning of this, of this book. So I'm really excited to be here this morning, and, uh, and I'll let you decide who the better pastor is. So it's definitely me. So, okay. So, uh, so if you can, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter, t- uh, chapter six. We're going to be in verses one and two this morning. So let me read that for us. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they chose. So that's it. Two verses this morning. So, and I know that uh, some of you might be looking, you know, saying, uh, Pastor, really just two verses? And I don't know for any of you that might have been to a verse-by-verse preaching church before, this might make you a little nervous, okay? Because I know in my experience, whenever we preach only two verses— it's either going to be a really short sermon or it's going to be a really long sermon. But don't worry, it's going to be really long, okay? So it's going to be great. So uh, we're, going to, we're going to get into this together. I'm really excited about it. And, and honestly, the reason we're getting into just two verses is because, of course, we believe, I, I believe the same thing about uh, what we read here this morning is the same thing I said last week, that all of the Bible is profitable to teach. We agree on that, do we not? Yes, all of the Bible, all of it is the inspired living Word of God that's profitable to teach for our souls, to teach us about the character of God, what he's learned about us, and uh, what, I'm sorry, what we've learned about God, how much he loves us, and to teach us about his character and ultimately what Jesus did for us on the cross. Every verse in this Bible can do that for us, including Genesis uh, 6, 1 through 2. So, uh, so I'm excited about jumping into this, and uh, it's, it's going to be awesome. So, so before, we, uh, before we get into this, um, I just want to put a warning out there that I, one of the, another reason that we're getting into this, just these two verses, is I know that sometimes, you know, uh, anybody listen to other sermons on podcasts or anything like that from other churches? And a lot of us do. I do too. And uh, it's, it's really easy as a preacher to fall into the trap of preaching to, be, to sound good on a, on a podcast for other people. But I want to make sure that the way we approach, and I believe the way most pastors approach this, is that this sermon is for this people right now in this room, for you, for our church right now in January of 2020. So, uh, so as I was approaching scriptures this week, I had that very heavy on my heart that I believe God has something, not just in general, but specifically for our people at the Refuge Church this January in 2020. So I'm really excited to jump into scripture and really excited to see what the Lord was teaching me. And, uh, and I hope that y'all can uh, listen and, and be able to see what, uh, what I believe the Lord has for us this morning. So, so as we jump into this, uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Dear God, thank you for um, thank you for good music. I mean, it's, it's uh, just we're able to sing such gospel-rich songs and and be prepared for um, and uh, 
just through, through the music, being able to pray to you through the words that we're singing together as a congregation and uh, being able to explain and exclaim the, the beauty of the cross, the beauty of Jesus, just as Zach said, the, who we are in you, our identity, how we've been marked by the blood of Jesus, not because of who we are, but because of your grace, God. So God, I pray that this morning, whether it's through the music, whether it's through uh, the scripture that we're studying this morning, or whether it's through a conversation we have over lunch later on, um, God, I pray that the gospel is proclaimed and I pray that people that maybe don't know you their hearts are continually softened so that they can one day come to salvation of Christ, God. And for those who are Christians this morning, God, I pray that they're encouraged. I pray that they're reminded of who they are in you, how much you love them, how your love for them does not waver. And God, and I pray that you also allow us to see the realities of what you are teaching us in scripture. We love you, and we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. So let's, let's dive right in, okay? So we got uh, Genesis, we got two verses today, Genesis 1, or sorry, Genesis 6.1 and Genesis 6.2. So Genesis uh, 1, of course, it says, when, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. Okay, we'll stop right there for a second. Sounds pretty straightforward, right? Because it is, pretty straightforward. Uh, what was the command that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden? Be fruitful and multiply. Sounds like that's exactly what these folks were doing. They were being fruitful and they were multiplying and they had daughters born to them. I'll let you parents explain that to your kids if you, if you choose over lunch. Uh, but yeah, but they, they, they were continuing to multiply. And now where we get into our, the meat of our sermon today is in Genesis 6-2, which says, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took them as their wives, any that they chose. So we spoke at length around uh, what, we, what we were talking about as far as in chapter four and chapter five. Chapter four focuses primarily on the, the, uh, the, the generations of Cain and how they had turned from God. They, they were really all about violence, about exclaiming their own name, their own glory, uh, uh, talking about themselves. And then on the other hand, we had the line of Seth, who uh, were calling upon the name of the Lord, a seeming return to righteousness. And we see how they were compared in chapter four and chapter five. And, and this is where we get to, uh, this is where we get to the meat of our sermon today, because in verse, in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter six, verse two, is perhaps one of the most debated verses in all of the Bible. Especially, and for, I would say for sure in Genesis, but maybe the whole Bible. And the reason being is because it comes down to this. Who are the sons of God that we're talking about? Who are the sons of God that saw that daughters were attractive and, uh, and married them? So again, let me read it. You know, and the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took any of their wives as they chose. So there's, there's a few different schools of thought of what this can mean. And I think there's a lot for us to learn in this. And, and that's one of the things I love about, uh, we here at Refuge, if you're new, I know we have a lot of guests here this morning. Uh, we, we subscribe to what's called expository preaching where we take a, a book of the Bible and preach verse by verse through that book. And the reason we do that is because it does not allow us to skip the hard stuff, Okay. Um, it, we just preach what we see in scripture. And let me tell you, this verse right here is some hard stuff. And, um, and I get to preach it. So thanks a lot, Scott. Okay, so yeah, so it's great. But, um, but I, heard, I heard a pastor, and I was telling this before, is uh, he decided that he wanted to preach through uh, the book of Revelation at his church. I'm not saying we're doing that right now. But the reason he did that is because he wanted to learn more about it himself. And that's exactly where I'm at, because I had heard things about this verse, but never really got into it a whole lot. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a, very, it's a kindness of the Lord that he allowed me to be the one to preach this, because I, I got to look at it myself. So, so what I want to do is I want to kind of walk you through the two schools of thought around this verse briefly. I'm not going to get into like the history, and you're not going to hear a bunch of years and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then I want to kind of tell you where, where we uh, fall on this. 
So the first line of thought that we might have is, who are the sons of God? And uh, kind of you just read it by itself, it sounds like the sons of God might simply be the generations of Seth, right? Because uh, whenever we saw that, what did, we, what did God say about the generations of Seth? What did they do? They called upon the name of the Lord. By the way, if you're new here, when I ask questions, I really expect an answer, okay? So uh, I need some interactivity, okay? Thank you, whoever answered, yeah? So what God said about the Seth line is that he called upon the name of the Lord. So, it doesn't, so it's not hard to assume that maybe the sons of God are about a people who were exclaiming the name of the Lord. That's not hard to draw that line, right? And, um, and it's also not hard to see that maybe the daughters of man is talking about the line of Cain. Because if we have, on one hand, the sons of God, talking about those who exclaim the name of God, and the daughters of man, maybe the Cainites, who try to get glorify their own name, it kind of buttons up nice and neat, doesn't it? <laughs> sons of God, daughters of man, Seth's line, Cain's line. So it kind of, it starts to work together really, really well. But unfortunately, in this line of thinking, there's a, there's a big kind of wrench that gets thrown into that, and it's called biblical context, unfortunately. Um, so we know that as, as good students of the Bible, our, the, the way to, inter- to really study is to let, we call it, let uh, Scripture interpret itself. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Um, in other words, we don't just look at one verse and build a whole theology around what one verse says. Um, we have to search the scriptures for context. You know, where else do we see in scripture that this is talked about? Where else do we see this exact word used? Um, and just even the context around where it was written itself. And all, so we want to use all of this information to bring in that. And in fact, a lot of the heresies that we see throughout the church history is the poor, um, the poor interpretation of one verse gone wild. It's usually where that comes from, where heresy comes from. So, so can we just make sure that we don't make that same mistake this morning? We, we, all, we don't want to be heretics, right? Maybe... I, I mean, maybe you do. We, we, should, we should probably talk about that. But yeah, we, I, we definitely do not. I, would, I can confidently say it is the position of the elders of Refuge Church. We do not want to be heretics, okay? Let me just go on the record saying that, okay? So, so let's, let's continue to walk through this and see what that looks like. So, so, so we need to kind of continue to flex our good Bible study muscles and think, okay, so we see this, this title, Sons of God. Where else do we see that in Scripture? Um, so what we need to do is look at, to find some of those other areas. And there's actually two where we see this exact term used um, elsewhere in the Old Testament, and that's in the book of Job. And so uh, I'm just going to bring them up uh, briefly if you don't want to read them with me. So in, um, in Job 1.6, we see, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And then another place later on in chapter 38, which is actually one of my favorite uh, chapters of the Bible. If you want to get put in place by God, read Job 38. Um, but, uh, and he says this, When the morning stars came sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So here in Job, we see the term sons of God used. So in Job, who is it describing? When it talks about the sons of God, who is it describing? Angels. Yeah, and specifically, it's, uh, it's, it's talking about fallen angels, the angels that were alongside Satan that were later cast out, we learn. And uh, what, what's another name we have for fallen angels? Demons. Demons, that's what we, that's what we call them. So, so does that mean the sons of God were demons? I mean, did demons find women, human women attractive, marry them, and then give birth to like demon-human hybrid babies? Is that what's going on here? I mean, I mean that sounds far-fetched. And by the way, that's one of the things that I've always kind of heard about it, and I was just like, yeah, I don't know about all that. That's, that's, that sounds kind of weird, right? So, I mean, it sounds a little far-fetched. Is anyone else feeling that with me? I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of, of the, like the Greek myths of the, the gods up on the mountains coming down to marry the mortals. That's what it sounds like to me. 
I mean, is that kind of what's going on here? I mean, this is bananas, is it not? I mean, this is crazy. I mean, I'm just not sure what, what's going on here. But, but I know, again, it's not what I feel about Scripture. We want to let Scripture be the final arbiter of truth, do we not? Again, we don't want to be heretics. We don't want to, we don't want to bleed our own thoughts and feelings into Scripture. We want Scripture to feel, to read itself. And so, um, so let's continue to flex our, our good Bible study muscles. Everyone, let me see your Bible study muscles. Let me see those, let me see those muscles, okay? So we want to flex our good Bible study muscles. Mine are the biggest, by the way. So don't say anything, Eric Hart. Okay, Big, biggest muscles, okay? So um, yeah, so we want to flex our good Bible study muscles and, um, and make sure that we are doing this rightly. So, uh, so we have to ask the question, where else in Scripture do we see this talked about? So we saw in Job where it's talked specifically using that word, but we also see some spots in the New Testament that talk about this specific account in Genesis 6. It's widely believed that that's what, this is what they're talking about. And we see those in 2 Peter and in Jude. And uh, if you want to look at those later, yeah, feel free to write those down and look it up. Um, just for the sake of time, I won't, I won't read them myself. Um, but what we see here in 2 Peter and in Jude, they both reference this specific narrative in Genesis 6. And who do they say the sons of God are? They say they're fallen angels. <laughs> that's, that's what they say they are. They, they talk about uh, what's going on here is that they were fallen angels that were not able to escape the wrath of God and how they were cast out. So, so we have two New Testament writers when looking at this specific account, they seem to think that this, th these are fallen angels. So we have not one, but two of these guys saying that. And if you look at even more, uh, we know that Genesis comes from the Torah, right? Which is the, the, the Jewish, the meat of Jewish scripture. So what do Jewish scholars believe these, uh, the sons of man are, or I'm sorry, the sons of God are. They too believe that they're fallen angels. They believe that they're demons. So if we're, if we're flexing our Bible study muscles, we're gonna let scripture interpret itself first, okay? Don't get me wrong, that's the first thing we look at. But then we also have extra biblical things that we look at to give us help, maybe help us give more context. And it all seems to support that the sons of God are demons. Okay, keep, just stay with me, okay? Stay with me. So which side of the debate do we fall on? So do we say that the, the, the sons of God are simply the Sethites because they called upon the name of the Lord? Or do we believe that they were demons that uh, had these human hybrid babies called the Nephilim, right? Is that, is that what we believe? Well, I got to tell you that personally what, what I have landed on, where, where I am studying this, is I believe that it's both. And uh, so give me a, give me a minute and let me, uh, let me explain this because as we look at this, I believe that, the, that that's exactly what's going on here. And uh, to kind of give me some context around this, I wanted, to, I wanted us to turn to Mark 5 together. Uh, so if you can turn to Mark 5, chap, uh, verse 1. Uh, we're actually going to look at uh, something from Jesus' ministry that we actually see a little bit more of an example of what I believe is going on here. So go ahead and turn to uh, Mark chapter 5. And the entire narrative is actually verses 1 through 20. But let me just read these uh, uh, verses 2 and 3. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. So here we have an account of Jesus encountering a man with an unclean spirit, a demon. And later we see that it's actually many unclean spirits, because what does this uh, demon call himself? Legion, right? Legion, for we are many, is what he says. And uh, so we we're not told exactly how many demons in. We know that it's more than two, because it's plural. Um, and we know that the name Legion itself is actually a Roman military term comprised of about 3,000 to 6,000 troops. So, it, so it's either between two and 6,000. I don't know, somewhere in there. So that's what the Bible gives us. Okay? So we know it's, uh, I mean, I would say one demon is too many. 
but, uh, but uh, I think we can all agree on that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, we know that this guy has, it had an unclean spirit in him, and we see later that Jesus heals him, uh, which is where our final uh, hope lies, is we know that nothing is too big for Jesus to do, which is um, awesome. And, uh, but we know that, that well, we see evidence of, even in Jesus' ministry, a man who has a, an unclean spirit even inside him. So, when we look at Genesis 6-2, it might be talking about demons. It might be talking about, um, which is that these guys were demons coming down, which is supported by things like Job and Peter and Jude. Um, or it could be talking about just the people, the generations of Seth, um, which is also supported by context. So what I'm, what I'm going to submit is, what if what we're talking about in Genesis 6 is both? What if what we're seeing is something that we see in other places of Scripture, like what we just read in Mark 5? What if what we're seeing is the Sethites possessed by demons, driven to perversion and marrying the Canaanites, which we'll see next week and later, will ultimately lead to their fall? And as I've been studying and reading and praying through this passage, I think that's exactly what's going on here. So, I feel it's appropriate that right now to do a check-in, okay? How are we feeling, okay? We're doing okay? Is anybody looking at me like wide-eyed and like eyebrows raised and like, I don't know about all this, yo. Like, okay, I, I'm not sure about this, okay? So y'all, this is kind of freaking me out. Is anyone else weirded out? Okay, it's okay. I don't, I don't blame you because I'm, I'm kind of, I was the same way. I mean, this, this sounds crazy. This sounds like, like superstition or mythical. I mean, is that, is that what's going on? I, mean, I don't blame you. I mean, it sounds like something that comes out of a B-level 1970s movie, does it not? I mean, is Keanu Reeves about to bust in the door and exercise a demon? Is that what's going to happen right now? I mean, I, mean I'm, I, don't, I hope not. Well, I've always wanted to meet him. But anyway, so that's beside the point. Um, but speaking for myself, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if many of you are the same way. That, like, you just, we just didn't talk about this growing up. I didn't. And, uh, and, and a, lot of what I can't, a lot of what I think about when I think about this stuff comes from movies. I mean, is anyone else with me? So... Let me tell you a little story I heard. So, so a, guy a, few years, uh, a guy a few years ago, when Man of Steel came out, he went to go, um, he watched this, went to the theater and watched this movie with, a, with some of his buddies. And we all know Superman, right? Blue, uh, blue tights, red cape. I think the best superhero. Come at me. So, uh, yeah, I think the best. If it's good enough for Jerry Seinfeld, it's good enough for me. Okay, that's all I got to say. Um, but about an hour into this movie, right? So we have, you know, what's going on so far? He's, you know, picking up cars. He's flying around. He's throwing grown men hundreds of yards. And, uh, and then about an hour in, a bad guy points a gun right at his face and shoots it. We watch the bullet in slow motion come out of the barrel and then hit him right in his open eyeball and just bounces off. Pretty cool, right? But then this guy who went to go see this movie, from the row behind him, he heard, yeah, right. <laughs> It's like, really? That's where it fell apart for you? <laughs> it's like, so, yeah, so, so far, like, yeah, flying around a thousand feet, throwing cars, uh, you know, fighting guys, you know, taking apart buildings. I'm on board so far, but bouncing bullets, you lost me. I'm sorry. That's just too far. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm not believing anymore. I don't think any of this is true after all. So, I mean, <laughs> that's ridiculous to say that, right? So, it's, but I would venture to say that most of us in this room would very easily agree that heaven and hell is real, that God exists, that Jesus really did die for our sins, and that Jesus really did raise from the grave. We all believe that, right? Y'all are on board with me so far. We preach that every Sunday. We're all cool with this so far, right? But when we start talking about angels and demons and supernatural battle going on around us at, at this very moment, yeah, I know about that. That's a little out there, okay? <laughs> Is anyone else feeling that? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all kind of there, but, 
But what I want to say is, again, we believe that everything in Scripture is true, profitable, and it's for our good, and, and showing us the character of God. And I'm here to tell you this. This is a reality. The spiritual world is real, and it's not completely separate from the physical world. They are connected and affect one another. This is the truth. Uh, writer R. Kent Hughes wrote about this, how we, just like that guy in the theater, sometimes approach the supernatural parts of the Bible. And he says this, unbelievable? I think not. As the highly respected Old Testament scholar Gordon Wenham has said, if the modern reader finds this story incredible, that reflects a materialism that tends to doubt the existence of spirits, good or ill. But those who believe that the creator could unite himself to a human nature in the virgin's womb will not find this story intrinsically beyond belief. Yes, what we believe is amazing. And it can sound crazy sometimes. It really can. I'll admit that me and my wife talk about that often. But if we can believe in the virgin birth, the resurrection of Jesus, the reality of heaven, and of course the existence of an all-powerful God who isn't distant but who is near and who is intimately involved in our lives, why is this the thing we can't believe? Maybe it's just our unfamiliarity with it that's leading to this unbelief. But what does Jesus say, or what did, that, what did the man tell Jesus in unbelief? Lord, help me with my unbelief. Even the things that make us uncomfortable. So, again, if we're flexing our Bible study muscles, we need to see what else Scripture has to say on this very, maybe, sheet sifting, uh, sorry, seat shifting. Uh, is anyone sifting? I'm not even going to try to say that again. I'm going to embarrass myself even further. But yeah, when we start talking about this, we start squirming, don't we? Because it's weird. I mean, it sounds, I just didn't grow up talking about this. Um, but it's real. And, uh, and so again, I don't listen to me. Let's listen to Scripture. And what does Scripture have to say about this very real topic of spiritual warfare? Uh, I'm going to go through just a series of, uh, of verses. I'll, I'll read them to you. Don't feel like you have to turn there with me if you don't like. Uh, in John uh, 13.27, we read, Then after Judas had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. J Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. And then Jesus speaks of the devil, demons, and hell in Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those two on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And not to mention, we also see the temptation of, the, of Jesus by the devil in the wilderness in, in, earlier in chapter 4 of Matthew. So, so even as the, these are just examples from the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, but throughout Acts and the later books of the Bible, as the church is being formed, we see a lot of awareness and warning around the opposition from the enemy. Spiritual warfare was a reality for them. They talked about it often. And it's one they actively fought against. And it wasn't just a reality for them, it's still a reality for us today here in Refuge Church. By simply reading the Bible, we cannot deny the existence of supernatural beings like angels, demons, and the enemy himself, Satan. It is a reality, unequivocally. But more than merely showing us its existence, Scripture itself gives us some strong warning about it too. Things that we need to be aware of and to watch out for and to even battle against. So in, in Acts 26, uh, verse 18, we read, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then 1 Peter offers, I believe, one of the most sobering warnings that I'm sure a lot of us have heard. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a what? Like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Listen to me. 
spiritual warfare is real now as it was then. And its aim is to destroy the church and her gospel. It's real. I don't want to say that flippantly. I want, I, this is a stark warning that I'm giving you, not because of what I think, but because of what Scripture clearly teaches. Now, I know that many of you, again, might have your hair blown back a little bit <laughs> talking about this, and, and, uh, but I would be a bad pastor if, if I didn't offer you the same warning, that this isn't just real in general. It's some other church on another continent or another city. This is a reality for the refuge church. It is. Where the gospel is preached and practiced, there is a big target for the enemy. And I'm here to tell you now, along with myself, my other elders, and many leaders in your church, the Refuge Church, we believe that we are under attack right now. And maybe even heightened than usual. I think there's always a baseline of spiritual warfare, but I think right now we're in a season of heightened attack. So, um, so I just want to put that warning out to you. And, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, uh, about what that looks like and how we can in, um, engage this and fight this together. But I don't, I don't want to make light of that. We believe that right now, we are truly under attack from the enemy. And I want us as a church family to be able to, um, to talk about this openly and to be able to um, fight against it together. So be watchful, as First Peter warns. So, so practically... What does spiritual warfare look like? It would be one thing for me to say, hey, go watch out for demons. <laughs> and then, okay, I mean, am I looking for horns? What am I, what am I looking for? Okay, I don't, know, I don't know what to look for. Um, so how do we be watchful? How do we, how do, we do this thing that First Peter tells us to do? And how do we know when we're under spiritual attack? Um, Pastor John Bryson from right here in Memphis, he's actually over at uh, Fellowship Memphis, he outlined four primary ways spiritual warfare manifests itself in our life uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a, some training that I was able to go through with him. Uh, the first one is life nuisance. <laughs> so broken appliances, stolen credit cards, sickness. I mean, really anything that causes annoyance or frustration or impatience, but it's like a lot in a very small amount of time. Uh, he, he used the anecdote that when he was under a heightened uh, uh, season of spiritual warfare, he had like six flat tires in four months or something like that. And, uh, and just speaking for myself, while I was preparing a sermon for, uh, to talk about spiritual warfare, my fridge died twice my daughter started waking up in the middle of the morning for no reason, out of nowhere, and, um, and, and just a few little things like that. So I'm not saying that is spiritual warfare, but it might be, okay? I don't know. So, and we're going to get into that a little bit. But um, just life nuisance. The second one is strained relationships. I mean, do you find yourself fighting with people more and more? I mean, are, are people annoying you that normally don't? Are you, your, are you and your spouse fighting? You know, more than usual, right? So more than usual. Um, a pastor in, in Huntsville named Abe Meisenberg, uh, I, he, I sent this to our elders a few weeks ago, uh, that he said something along the lines, I'm going to paraphrase, of that one of the primary tactics of the enemy in the American church is making people feel like they're my enemy when they're really not. So I would say that, that's a, that those are strained relationships in that. Are you fighting with people you normally don't fight with? Normally me and this guy get along great, but for some reason we're just at odds right now. The next one is increased temptation. Are there areas of sin in your life that have popped up from seemingly nowhere? Like, are you struggling with stuff that you just normally don't struggle with? Or is maybe there's an area of sin in your life that you have, since, that you have long since put to bed, but now it's rearing its ugly head again? Or maybe it's even the smaller sins. There's no smaller sins, but the little things, like what if it's laziness or gossip that we're struggling with right now? And lastly, irrational fear. Do you find yourself worrying more? 
Are you fearful of outcomes from maybe decisions or, or the future in general, and you're just not normally one of those people that worry a lot? Or quite simply, do you just feel generally fearful and you can't really place your finger on why? Now, again, these aren't, this isn't an exhaustive list, but these are the four main things in his experience as he studied that he has saw that uh, watched spiritual warfare manifest itself in their life. So if any of this is ringing any bells, I know it is for me. You might be under spiritual attack. You might be engaged in spiritual warfare right now without even realizing it. And as Christians, we have targets on our back. And as part of a gospel preaching and believing church, our church as a whole has a target on its back. And whatever tactic the enemy can use to fight against the spread of the gospel and to discourage believers, you better believe he's going to try it. Now, I say you might be under attack because if you look at this list, I mean, all of these things could happen on their own, right? I mean, sure, we can explain them away. And that's part of the thing that kind of leads us to be a little cynical around this. Um, But I want to warn us not to be unaware, unbelieving of what's going on around us, but also... Don't, don't ascribe everything to the devil, okay? Don't obsess over it either. I mean, don't be the guy who's always blaming his broken car on the devil when you haven't changed the oil in five years, okay? Don't be that guy, okay? And, and it's, it wasn't the devil that turned off your lights um, to your house. That was Steve from MLGW because you haven't paid your bill in six months, okay? So again, we don't, we don't, wanna, we don't wanna blame, blame shift everything onto the devil when it's really our own sin and our own uh, maybe bad decisions that cause us to do these things, but we don't, um, but we don't wanna be unprepared either. So uh, P- Pastor Mark Driscoll used this analogy of that we're running down a, a, down a dirt road and there's two ditches on either side. On one ditch, we have unbelief of spiritual warfare at all. So just being completely unaware of it. And then on the other, we have obsessing over it and constantly pushing everything towards spiritual warfare. And so we want to make sure we find that healthy road in the middle. So again, I'm not saying the devil got in my fridge and broke it twice. I'm saying he might have, okay? <laughs> say, okay? Um, and, uh, you know, okay, let's just say he totally did that, okay? He totally did that. Um, no, I don't know if he did or not, but I know that it was super annoying and it came at a very untimely time for, my, uh, for our family. It was very, in, you know, intrusive and uh, we have to get one replaced while we're out of town. So again, we just see that there's a lot of stuff happening. So I'm not saying it was the enemy, but it could be. And it's something we want to make sure we're aware of. So again, don't ascribe everything to the devil, but guys, don't fall into the trap of believing that this doesn't happen, because it does. Scripture is very, very, very clear on this. So we need to be vigilant. So I want to warn you, Refuge Church, that spiritual warfare, it's, it's a real thing, and we need to be on guard. And the ways we can do that pray against the work of the enemy in your life and in your relationships. I mean, with your family, with your friends, in your church, pray against the work of the enemy in those areas. Be aware of strained relationships and increased temptation, because that could be the work of the enemy. And we know that we can ask for God's strength. And if you're fearful, know that God is bigger than whatever you're afraid of. We believe that, do we not, church? We do. Be vigilant against the work of the enemy. Remember the promise that we have in James 4, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And remember in Ephesians 4, not to give the opportunity to the devil. And this continues to paint a picture that the enemy doesn't make us do anything. But he lies to us, and he deceives us, and puts just enough doubt in our minds to make what he's saying believable. And then we in our sin act on it. What, what did the serpent say to, the, to Eve? 
did God really say? Did God really say that? The enemy wraps 90% truth and 10% lie just to throw it a little bit off axis to make us swallow it. If he were to come to me and say, hey, Blake, the sky's green, I'd be like, get out of here, okay? But if he said, Blake, the way your wife talked to you that way, that's because she doesn't love you. That's easy to believe. And sometimes I fall for it. Why are y'all laughing at that? That's, I was being very vulnerable and y'all laughed at me, okay? But y'all get what I'm saying. Y'all understand where I'm coming from. So what I want us to do is I want us to end with this assurance that we have in Scripture. I want us to end with the assurance that we have from the Lord. So if you can, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. This might sound daunting and exhausting. And it might sound like insurmountable odds against you in this very real fight before us but I want us to read this together. So if you can, what we're going to do is we're going to read Ephesians 6, um, verses 10 through 19. And what I want us to do, if you can, if you're able, I would like for us all to stand uh, so that we can read this together. So what I want you to do is stand with me, grab your Bibles, and as I'm reading this, I want you to follow along with me. And the reason I'm doing this is because I don't want you to miss this, okay? I don't want you to miss this. So if, if you were asleep, now you're awake, welcome to the party, okay? We're going to read some stuff of how God cares for us well, Okay? So let me read chapter 6. I should have turned to it before I asked you all to stand, my bad. All right. So uh, we're going to read verses 10 through 19. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand it in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace." In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying all, at all times in the spirit with all power and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words against me may be given, uh, given to me, opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the very word of God. Y'all can be seated. We have a very real enemy who is against us. And that might seem scary and daunting, but what we just read together in Ephesians shows us that the enemy is strong, but not unbeatable. The devil and God are not on equal sides of the fight. Yes, it's good versus evil, but the odds are not even, not even close. So take heart that the battle against the evil is beatable. And it's not because of how amazing or strong you are, but it's because of the armor the Lord gives us to fight. He supplies the armor for us. So Christian, take up the armor of God. Pray, 
Study the scriptures. Fight with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage one another. Love one another. Be patient with one another. Have grace with one another. And for those of you who aren't Christian, God, God also offers you armor. But it's not a breastplate or a shield. He offers you something much more precious. He offers you himself. The first thing God offered any of us was himself as he humbled himself and came to the earth to live among his creation and then dying on a cross for that creation. Jesus offers you his broken body and his spilled blood to pay for your sins. So not only do we get the armor to guard us against the enemy, we also get protection from the condemnation of our own sin. How gracious of a father do we have in heaven to give us that? Not only does he save us, he protects us. Again, not because of how amazing you are, but because of how amazing God is and what he gives us freely. There is a real spiritual war going on around us right now in this room, attacking us every day. And sometimes its intensity swells like waves at the sea. But the fight is not even. And we have a Lord and armor that cannot be defeated. And his name is Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us.